Amen. Job chapter number 1, verse number 20. That's where we'll take our text from. Just kind of a, a setup for our text, which we won't um, stay here very long, but uh, Job has just gotten word that uh, the Sabians have came and they have raided um, all of his livestock. They've taken everything, taken everything, all of his earthly possessions. And for a man that was the richest man in the world at that time, that's saying a lot. Not only that, but he had just received news that his children had just been killed. So in one day's time, all of his wealth was gone. His family was gone. The only one that he had left was his wife. I'd say that was a pretty bad day for someone to go through. But in verse number 20, it says, Then Job arose, and he rent his mantle. And shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. That was a very common thing for someone to do when they had just lost a family member. They would go through a season of mourning. And everything that he did, that uh, he rent his clothes, he, he shaved his head, fell down upon the ground. It was All of that was a sign of mourning. But after he did those things, the Bible says, and worshipped. He worshipped God throughout the midst of all of his troubles and trials. And Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The middle part of verse 21 says, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. I want to preach, if the Lord will help us this morning, on the things God takes away. The things that God takes away. If you will, stretch forth your hands. Ask God to help us this morning. Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for the privilege that we have to be in your house. Thank you for your spirit that I've already been made to feel. Oh, God, I felt you this morning strong in prayer. I felt you this morning at the RV park. I felt you here as we've sang, as we've worshipped as we praised and as we prayed. God, I'm asking now that you would anoint us to preach the Word of God that you have laid upon our hearts this morning. God, I, I pray that if there be any lost among us, that this morning they could be saved. I pray that if there be any sick among us, that they can be healed. I, I pray, God, if there's any uh, that are bound by addictions and bound by strongholds of hell, that today, today could be a day of deliverance in Jesus' name. I pray that we all... God, saints and sinners alike could leave uh, with our lives being changed by the power of the Word of God. I pray that you do a work in our hearts and in our lives around these altars. We'll forever love you and give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray it. And the church says amen. And amen. We have come to a place in Christendom today where everything is about what God can give us. Somewhere along the lines, we've turned this thing around for, from our lives being a service unto God until how God can service us. Well, it's come to be a handout religion to where it's just what God can do for me. We have the, the seeker-friendly movement that goes out into the communities and says, well, what can the church do to change, to fit your needs? When the church should never be the one to change to meet the needs of the world. But we should be the one that just pronounces and proclaims the unchanging Christ to the world. It's a dangerous trend that we're in of 
everything is give me, give me, give me, give me. And it's a consumer religion. Sad to say in many parts today. And make no misunderstanding, church. I am thankful and I am grateful and I am glad for everything that God has ever given to me. I mean, there's no way that I could stand here behind this pulpit and tell you everything that God has done in my life. That There's no way that I could count every blessing. The Bible says His mercies are renewed every morning with the rising of the sun. Uh, That word mercies is plural, meaning God has given us mercy upon mercy upon mercy every morning. I mean, things that we don't even think about, things that we don't even consider, things that may not even register with us. It's the blessings and it's the mercies of God. Amen. That, that we're not consumed. I am thankful, beyond thankful, for everything that God has ever given me. But you hear me this morning. I am just as thankful for some things that God has taken away from me as I am for all the things that God has given me. That statement may not make much sense right now, but I hope by the end of this message it will. Amen. I want us to look at some things that God has taken away. The first thing that I want us to look at, and I am so very thankful that God has taken away sin from me. Man, I'm thankful that God has taken away a life of sin. I mean, you see me for the man that I am right now. A man in a suit behind a pulpit preaching the gospel. But I see myself for the man that I was before the cross. Amen. Before the blood of Jesus, before Christ came and washed my sins away. I mean, you see me for what I am. But I know me and I remember me for what I was. But the fact of the matter is that I had the same problem in my life that every man that's ever been born since Adam has had. And that was a sin problem. From Adam, our forefather, I mean, throughout today, since Adam's fall in the garden, sin has had dominion and power over the world. You say, how do you know that, preacher? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single fleshly man that's been born, amen, was born with an Adamic and a sinful nature. We've all sinned and fallen short. Our sin may have been different. Our penalty may or our uh, uh, commitment of sin may have been different, but the penalty of sin was the same. Uh, and that's death. For the wages of sin are death. Uh, amen. Every one of us uh, had a death sentence hanging over our head. Uh, it matters not how good you think you are. Uh, it matters not what good you think that you've done. Uh, without Christ, we're all sinners. Uh, and we're all headed to a place called hell. Uh, it, it, we have a, a conception to where we try to uh, categorize sin to where we think that some Somebody else's sin is so big, but our sin is so small. Listen, it's all a stench in the nostrils of God. And it matters not if it's murder, if it's adultery, if it's homosexuality, or if it's a little white lie. Amen. Every sin is the same in God's eyes. And everyone carries a penalty of death. For the wages of sin, amen, it is death. Amen. We can see this in every single one of us. We see the greatness of Adam's fall when we look at all in humanity, when we look and we see the effects of sin, we see two things. We see the greatness of man's fall, but on the other side of that coin, we also see the greatness of God's redemption. 
Hallelujah. We see the greatness of man's downward plight and his downward journey, but we see the greatness of God's salvation. For when a fallen man could not reach a holy God, a holy God in the form of Jesus Christ came down to reach a fallen man. He left the splendors. He left the glory. He left the majesty of heaven to come down to a sinful, rotten, wicked world that despised Him and rejected Him, that did everything that they could to stop His plan of redemption. But in all of that, Christ provided the remedy for sin. What is the remedy for sin, preacher? The remedy for sin is Christ. Amen. There's no other way to deal with the aspect of sin. There's no other way, amen, to have the course of sin reversed in a man's life outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one sum total means of redemption. And I'm thankful this morning that I have encountered Him, that I've had His blood touch my life. And I'm thankful that the second I encountered Christ, He dealt with the sin problem. He didn't just deal with the fruit of sin, honey. He went straight to the root of sin and eradicated sin from my life. I'm thankful that God has taken my sin away. Amen. And that is His will for every man to take your sin away. It's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever will, amen, would come and have everlasting life. For God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I know that the Calvinists like to twist that Scripture and say that all really doesn't mean all. That it means just a select number and a select few. Listen, I don't have to have man's intellect or wisdom to know that all means all. Amen. Red or yellow, black or white, male, female, boy or girl, is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. It is the will of God to take away sin. Amen. From your life. Paul writing to the church of uh, in Colossians chapter number 2. Some of my favorite verses in all of the world. In all of the Word of God. In verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world. That's a mouthful in and of itself. Because man, even with the best of intentions in their mind, can be spoiled. Can have uh, their their religion tarnished. How do you know that? By philosophy and deceit. By twisting the Word of God and twisting Scriptures. After the tradition of man, when we put more faith in traditions than we do the Word of God. And the rudiments of the world, when the world system and the world's economy takes place of holiness and righteousness before God and not after Christ. You can read of all the Scriptures that Christ did, but in verse number 14, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What was He talking about? He's talking about the sins of the world that Jesus nailed to the cross. He's talking about the sin, the sin nature. Of, of fallen humanity. He took every ordinance that was against us. He took every sin. He took every fault. He took every shortcoming. 
And the Bible says He nailed it to the cross. Amen. And having spoiled principalities and power. What is that saying? He robbed hell of its power. Hallelujah. Robbed principalities of its power. He made a show of them openly, triumphing uh, over them in it. It, The cross of Calvary uh, is a testament throughout the world through every generation uh, that Jesus Christ has rose uh, triumphantly over sin. That Jesus Christ uh, is the remedy uh, for sin on the cross. Christ uh, was victorious over sin. Uh, Amen. How do you know that preacher? Because he took uh, the weight of the sin of this world. uh, Was placed solely upon his shoulders. uh, And although Jesus Christ carried the weight of uh, sin. And it was solely upon his shoulders. uh, Amen. Though sin was upon him. uh, Sin never got in him. uh, Sin never tarnished this Christ. uh, And because of that. uh, He is the sinless spotless redeemer uh, of all the world. uh, There is no other way to the Father uh, but by the Son. Uh, There's no other way to heaven but by Jesus Christ. Uh, I was listening to a very well-known preacher yesterday. uh, Amen. And he was uh, saying many years ago that there are many different ways to heaven. uh, Amen. That Islam is the only way that they know. uh, And so God has allowed Islam to come uh, to turn their hearts back to God. Uh, I thought to myself, how foolish uh, can you be? Uh, I don't care how many thousands he's uh, claimed to see saved. uh, If he's preaching that garbage. He's an antichrist. Preaching that there's another way to Christ. You hear this preacher. There is no other way to the Father but by the Son. Islam is not the way. Buddhism is not the way. Harry Krishna isn't the way. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. I am the way. Jesus is the way. It's simple preaching. But I can tell you it's right preaching. Preacher, you're going to offend people preaching that way. They need to be offended. To awaken them to the reality that the only remedy for sin is Christ. Hallelujah. Christ taken away the sin at Calvary. Look at what Christ did. Nailed sin to the cross. Triumphed over them in it. And because Christ overcame sin, you and I can overcome sin. Not by our own good works. Not by our own intellect or our own education. But by His blood, you and I can overcome sin. Paul writing to the church of Rome in Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I've talked to people and they said, you've got to sin a little bit every day. I've sinned. I, I, I sin every day. That's not God's will, folks. Paul very straight and pointedly said, Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. I know we're fleshly. Amen. I, I, I know that uh, man is carnal. Amen. But man does not have to be sinful. And somewhere along the lines, we've taken the Word of God. Amen. Paul said, Let not sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. What he's saying is don't lend your body, the instruments of your body unto wickedness unto sin. But he said yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, listen, for sin shall not have dominion over you. I said since Adam, sin has had dominion on the world. From Adam to Christ, sin 
Death fell upon every man. Amen. Dominion and power. But Paul was saying, there's a new power in town. There's a higher power. Let not sin have authority over you. Let not sin have dominion over you. I know that it's had dominion and power over all of the human race since Adam. But Paul is saying there's another way. You don't have to endure the aspects of sin. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but you're under grace. I just said a mouthful right there. And I know that the grace doctrine, a hyper grace doctrine is out there. That there's just some sloppy agape grace that uh, no matter what you do, that you're going to be saved. I mean, there, there's meeting people out there preaching, uh, uh, popular preachers in and of uh, their own self that are preaching unto you that when you're born again, uh, when you're saved, uh, that Jesus not only forgave you for all past sin, uh, but He saves you from all future sin. Uh, and that no matter what you do, uh, you can commit murder, you can commit adultery, you can do whatever you want to do, uh, but you're going to make it in because the grace uh, of Jesus Listen to me, church. Amen. It's not some sloppy agape grace. Amen. The same grace that saves you is the same grace that will keep you. Amen. The same grace that is afforded unto you in salvation will be afforded unto you in the hour of temptation. And conviction will prick your heart before you ever sin. Hallelujah. It's not just some sloppy agape grace. But the same grace that saves you will be the same grace that keeps you in the hour of temptation. Paul said, said, sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. There's a different power. There's a greater power. There's a greater source. And the source is the blood of Jesus. Thank God there is power and victory over sin. God help us. Romans 5 verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I was in, of all places, an Assemblies of God class working on my ordination. They were, the grace of God came up. And the teacher, ordained minister in the Assemblies of God, was teaching. And he said, you know, if I've lived holy all of my life, and my son wants a water gun from Walmart, but I don't have the money to go get him a water gun. If I steal that water gun, and then before I get home to give it to him, I die in a car wreck, would I go to heaven for stealing a water gun even though I'd committed no sin and holy up to that point in my life? Would I, would, even though I, I committed that sin that was wrong, would I still go to heaven? Or would God hold it against me and would I go to hell? I thought to myself, man, the answer is quite obvious. Person after person after person begin saying, God would be merciful. God understands the reason behind your sin. So it, it would be okay. He would be merciful unto you. He would allow you in. I had high blood pressure of the Spirit. We're, we're not talking about new converts, folks. We're talking about students that are studying to be ordained in our great fellowship. Misinterpreting and misconstruing the Word of God. I said, what about the scripture that says no sin shall enter past the gate? I don't care if it's a white lie. 
I don't care if it's stealing a water gun. I don't care if it's murder. No sin shall enter past the gate. I said, you're missing one big aspect here. You're missing one big aspect of the picture uh, uh, that you're just looking over. If a man is truly born again, if a man is truly walking right with God, if a man uh, has truly encountered the grace of God uh, before he ever steals the water gun, uh, the Holy Ghost is going to convict his heart uh, and he's going to know it's wrong. Uh, He's going to know it's not right. Uh, And if he willfully sins, uh, he's treading underfoot the blood of Jesus uh, and he's walking over the Holy Ghost to do it. Uh, And if he does that, uh, the punishment of sin... uh, will be hanging over his head. Yes, he deserves to die for two things. He's trampled underfoot the blood of Jesus. Amen. And he's grieved the heart of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, I, I was crucified that day in the class as legalistic. I said, call me what you will. It's a tight book. If you want to go to heaven, you're going to have to live tight. Listen, folks. It's not the will of God for us to willfully go about committing sin. It is the will of God for us to walk holy and righteously in this present world. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. The Word of God says don't do it. Amen. And it's what's going to be standing in the end. So I am going to stand on the Word of God. And I said, furthermore, there ain't a water gun on earth that's good enough for me to go to hell over. As bad as that kid wants it, I'd have to look at him in the eye and say, I'm sorry, but it's wrong. Where's that type of preaching anymore? Sin is sin. Amen. And you hear me, sin is not innocent. Before man ever ever commits the sin, he's going to have to override the conviction of the Holy Ghost. God help us. Romans 6 falls right in line. What shall we say then? Shall sin continue? The grace may abound. Shall I keep on sinning so that the grace of God can be afforded unto me even more? Paul had two words for that. God forbid. God forbid. You don't keep on sinning. Listen, a praying man is going to keep quit the sinning business. A Christian man is going to quit that life of sin. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Listen, if you're walking in sin, you're a dead man walking. Walking with a penalty of death on your head. Literally dead. You may have oxygen flowing through your lungs and blood coursing through your veins. Man, but you're a dead man walking. But when you encounter this Christ and you're born again, you're walking, the Word of God says, in the newness of life. Why in the the world do you want to go back and flirt with the life of death? I mean, why, once you're walking in the liberty of Christ and the newness of Christ, verse 4, that, uh, therefore we be buried with Him by baptism unto death and like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we walk in the newness of life. If I'm walking in the newness of Christ's life, why, do I, why on earth do I want to go back and flirt with the death of the devil? Once you've been born again, you're walking in, new, in a new life. When a man is born again, he's going to quit. The sin in business. He's going to hate what he one time loved. And he's going to love what he one time hated. Why? What happened? There was a change in nature that took place in him. His nature changed. He went from having a, a nature of sin and death to having the nature of the holiness of God. Hallelujah.
Oh, my God. Folks, I'm thankful that God has taken away my sin. I'm thankful that there's been a nature change. That was a point in time in my life when I hated coming to church. I mean, why? Because I felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost. That, that, that was a point in time when I hated uh, the Word of God. Why? Because when I would read it, and I was, my, my parents made me read the Word of God. When I read it, I, I was convicted by what it said. I, I mean, I despised the Word of God. I, I, I didn't like my pastor. I, I hated his guts. Amen. And I told him as much. I was a rebellious, bad kid. Amen. But when I got born again, all of that changed. I love going to the house of God. I love getting lost in the Word of God. I love preachers. I love the saints. Why? Because my nature was changed. God took my sins away. Amen. That lifestyle was over. I thank God for the things that He's taken away. Give you a follow-up to that story. I told my pastor I hated him. And I did. I got born again. The first thing God ever led me to do, I take that back, the second thing God ever led me to do was in a church service a couple months later. I saw that man. He had resigned the church, left. He was no longer my pastor. But God told me, He said, you, you, you go wrap your arms around that man of God. You love him and you apologize. Amen. I hated that man with a hatred. Because he stood for truth. But when I got born again, amen, God took that hatred out and replaced it with love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, that's God. That's God. Thank God for the things that He's taken away. I've got to hurry. He took my sin away. I could stand up here and read you a rap sheet a mile long of sins that I committed. Oh, but thanks be unto God, they're gone. You ask me why I'm happy, and I can tell you why. Praise God. My sins are gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My sins are gone. Jesus, or the Word of God says that they are cast away, they're removed as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered anymore. That, that, that scripture puzzled me for a while till God opened my eyes to this. Why didn't he say he's far removed as north is from south? You ever thought about that? Because the fact of the matter is, is you can only go so far north until you're going south. You can only go so far south until you're going north. But the fact is, is that I can keep walking east as long as I want to and I'm still moving east. I can walk to the west as long as I want to and I can walk west continually. There's no intersection between east and west. There's an infinity between east and west. That's what the Word of God is saying. I'm casting your sins out. Infinity apart from where you are and infinity apart from where you'll ever be. Amen. It'll never be remembered again. Thank God. I can shout this morning because my sins are gone. I remember what I was and the devil tries to remind me every once in a while but God, amen, don't remember God has cast it away and God has forgot thank God my sins are gone. I thank God for the things that he's taken away I might just preach a while this morning hallelujah I thank God for the things that he's taken away when he took away my sin hallelujah Hallelujah. I've seen a lot of Christians 
get bogged down right here. I've got the answer for you this morning. Amen. Not only does God want to take away your sin, but God also wants to take away the shame that sin has caused in your life. I've seen a lot of people come down the altar and pray through. Three months later, there are three weeks, three months, whatever long backslid. Why? Because God gave them victory over the sin, but they never got victory over the shame. Amen. God removed the sin. But when the devil came back and reminded them of what they one time was, what, what they uh, one time were, they weren't able to deal with the shame. The same God that removes the sin is the same God that will take care of the shame. I remember a point in time, even in ministry, Holy Ghost field preaching, I, I was uh, walking this floor one night, and all of a sudden, the weight of what I was uh, w- was placed down on my shoulders. I, I remembered what I'd done. I remembered what I'd been. I said, God, the weight, the guilt, the shame. I remember weeping and crying, saying, God, you got to do something with this. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm blood-bought. I know I'm redeemed. But these memories, God, the, the memories of what I've been, the memories of what I've done, God, I can't take this anymore. Amen. The, the Holy Ghost pricked my heart that night uh, and said, uh, Amen, if you're, if it was committed in the past, uh, if it was committed before the blood, uh, I have already forgotten it uh, and your past uh, is past. Uh, hallelujah. Your past uh, is past. Uh, you may never be able to take uh, back the memories of the things that you've done. Uh, amen. But it's in the past. Uh, it was before the blood uh, and the blood is a line of demarcation. Folks, uh, there's victory. Uh, amen. Over sin. Uh, there's victory over shame. That night, I got the victory. And my life has never been the same again. I mean, you've got to let God deal with the sin. But you've also got to let God take the shame. My God, take the guilt. Amen. And despise it in Jesus' name. Look at what the Word of God says in Romans 12. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Preacher. You don't understand what I've done. I don't. I may not ever know what you've done. And I prefer it to stay that way. Sometimes the less we know, the better off we are. Amen. But there is therefore now no condemnation. But, 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 but preacher, I understand that for you. But you just don't know. It doesn't say there is a little bit of condemnation. It doesn't say God removed 99%, but He leaves the one. No. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them that are in Christ Jesus. If you've been been washed by the blood, if you've been born again, God's taken your sin. Let Him take away your shame. Let's look in the Word of God. You say, how do you know He takes the shame? What about the woman who committed adultery? The Pharisees brought her to the feet of Jesus. Said, this woman is called in the very act of adultery. Adultery was the worst sin under the law. How do you know that? Because one, you're committing a sin against God. You're committing a sin against your own body. You're committing a sin against your husband or your wife. And fourth, you're committing sin with the person that you're committing adultery with. That's about as tangled a web as you could possibly get under the law. I mean, the the aspects of sin is so far raging. And can I tell you, it's the same way today. Amen. Just because Christ has came, adultery is still a wicked sin. 
adultery still it is a very tangled web that many fall into the traps and the snares, even though it grieves the heart of God. But this woman was the worst of the worst. Caught in the very act. Now, it wasn't rumored. It wasn't speculated. She was caught in the very act of adultery. Pharisees grabbed her up, took her to Jesus, threw her down at His feet, said, this woman was called in the very act of adultery. The law has given us the right to stone her. We have every right to kill her right here on the spot. What say you, Jesus? Jesus just looked. said, you this without sin cast the first stone. Because you see, under the law, under that Levitical law, it didn't matter how good you lived. All have sinned. All had come short of the glory of God. And up to that point, there was no remedy for sin. There was blood sacrifices that would cover sin. It would deal with fruit, but the root was still there. So Jesus said, how many of you were without sin? You pick up the first stone. If you've never committed a sin, if you've never had an evil thought, if you've never had a lust problem, if you've never thought a wicked thing, then you have the right to stone her. But if you've got sin, if you've ever committed a sin, you have no right to pick up a stone and throw it at her. One by one, they begin to leave. One by one, they begin to go flee. The Bible says that Jesus wrote something in the sand. What did He write? I have no clue. I wish I did, but I don't. Maybe He wrote forgiven. Maybe He wrote pardon. Maybe He wrote delivered. I don't know what He wrote. But He looked at her and said, Where are your accusers? Where are the ones that brought you here to me? Where, where are they at to coach you? And they act. She looked around. She said, Lord, there, there, there's nobody here to condemn me. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. Go and sin no more. Amen. When, when, when a man or a woman has an encounter with Christ uh, and the grace of God uh, has been expl- displayed unto him, Jesus said, uh, Amen, I don't condemn you. Amen, I don't condemn you. Once you've had uh, an encounter with me, your past uh, has been passed. Thank God uh, that he deals with the shame of sin. What about the woman in John chapter number 4? Who had, uh, uh, who's, uh, had been married five times, the man that she was shacking with. Uh, amen. Wasn't even her husband. Uh, she was the worst of the worst in her day. Uh, but after she had an encounter with Christ, uh, her life was forever changed. Uh, Jesus took her sin. The Bible says uh, that she left her water pot at the well uh, and began to publish all the things that God uh, had done for her. Uh, she said, come see a man uh, which told me everything that I did. Is this not the Christ? Uh, and the village was saved uh, because of the testimony of that one woman. She was a woman that when God took her sin, she also gave her shame. She said, I'm not going to be bound by my past defeats. I'm not going to be bound by my past limitations. Jesus has set me free. Amen. There's victory over the shame of sin. What about Legion? Demoniac field with 6,000 demons. Once he has an encounter with Christ... Christ took his sin. Christ took his shame. He wants to become a disciple. He's clothed in his right mind. You want to know how a man gets born again? He'll put some clothes on. When a woman's born again, she'll put some clothes on. Amen. Cover up. That's what he did. Uh, he was clothed and in his right mind. He wants to get on the boat to be a disciple with Jesus. Jesus said, no, sir. He said, you stay here and you tell all the things.
that I have done for you. He was in the land of Gadara on the other side of the sea. The only time Jesus ever went to Gadara was this one instance in the Word of God. The only journey He ever made was right there. Gadara was a one city in a region called Decapolis, which was ten cities. There were ten cities in that region called Decapolis. Gadara was one of them. The only time Jesus ever went to the region, but when Paul, on his missionary journey, went to the area of Decapolis, there were churches in all ten cities, and there were believers in all ten cities. Where did they come from? I believe they come from one man. I believe they come from one man who said, God took my sin. I refuse to live in shame. I'm going to give my all to God. Hallelujah. Many were born again and believed. Don't let God just take you. I thank God that He took away my shame. I'm thankful for the things, church, that God has taken away. He took away my sin. Taken away my shame. I can't tell you how many times that He's taken away sickness from me. You've shown up too late. I mean to tell me that God doesn't heal. Has there been things you prayed for, preacher? Has there been miracles you fasted for that didn't come? Yes. But I can tell you there's also been things that I have prayed for, fasted over, God did move. Amen. And the, the things that I have seen God do removes all doubt from me to believe that He can't do what we pray for. I remember the time coming back from Africa. First thing, I was there, got my malaria shots, everything lined up to go preach, preached. God moved. We had 40, I think the last count was 45, 49, something like that, born again. He said, we need somebody to baptize us. They said, whatever you do, don't go in any of the rivers. Don't go near any of the waters. If you want malaria, get in the river. I went to River Malaria in Isiolo, Kenya. The dirtiest, filthiest, rottenest, any other nest you can think of, it was it. Stunk. My goodness, it stunk. Trash, pollution. There were hungry hearts. Wanted somebody to baptize. And the other preachers we were with, one of them went with me, the other one didn't. I said, as long as these people want to be baptized, I'll baptize them. Got back ten days later. Running 104 fever. Sick as a dog. I said, well, let me look up symptoms. Typed in my symptoms. First thing that triggered in WebMD, malaria. First thing, I said, dear God, I'm a dead man. I've got malaria. Called my mom. Big mistake. She's not very computer savvy or literate. But I told her my problems and my symptoms. She called me back 10 minutes and said, Dear God, Corey, you got malaria. You better get to the hospital. I said, Nope. I said, The church is in revival this week. It's just a little bit before 7. I said, I'm going to get the church to pray for me. And I'm going to be praying. I called Brother Eddie. I said, Brother Eddie, I said, I'm sick. I'm in bed, 104 fever. Said, I need you, the church, to pray. That had to be the one service that we started on time at Bible Way. How do you know? Because at 702, my fever broke. 702, it was gone. What happened? Somebody got a hold of God. Somebody was getting a hold of God praying for me. I remember the time when I had an intestinal problem. 
had a muscle between my stomach and my small intestines had had totally shut to and become enlarged and had to go to the doctor sister angie brother glenn's wife uh, got me the appointment to went run the test said you have a condition that was about that long i can't pronounce it then i sure can't now amen but uh, uh, she said it, it's very common in newborn babies i've never seen it in a 21 year old she said you must not be nothing but a big old baby i said well call me what you will She said, we got to go in. we got to remove that. It's causing food and everything else to back up. Couldn't hold water. That was on a Tuesday. On a Wednesday, I suffered through work, suffered through church. Got the church to anoint me and pray for me. I went to bed sicker than I was when I came to church. Thursday, went up to work and I was struggling bad. It got knocking off time to go home. I said, I'm just going home. I'm doping myself up, trying to get me some rest. Hadn't slept in three nights. It's bad. I'd lost about 20, 25 pounds on second thought. It might be good if it happened again. I need to get some weight off if the same result happened. I'll never forget as long as I live. I was in my truck getting on the Beach Express to go home. God spoke to my heart. He said, go to Stapleton Church of God. I'll meet you there and I'll heal you. Brother Steve Griffin was in revival that week from Arcadia, Florida. He preached. My goodness, did he preach. He opened up the altars. It was dead as 3 o'clock in the morning. Dry as cracker juice. Whatever you want to say, it was dead. I said, I must have missed God. I must have missed your voice. Brother JP was getting up to close the service. Brother Steve was sitting on the front pew. He ran and got the microphone. He said, the Holy Ghost just spoke to me. He said, there's somebody in this house that's sick. You're bad sick. And you need a miracle. The Holy Ghost told me to tell you, if you'll step up here right now in faith, we're going to anoint you with oil. You're going to leave well. I was the first. I jumped up. I ran right here. Brother Steve was behind the pulpit. Brother Steve's a short guy. He was doing everything he could to pick over the pulpit to laugh at or look at me. He just stared a hole through me for about 30 seconds. I'll never forget as long as I live. I was thinking, dear God, I'm in pain. Just come pray for me. Quit staring at me. Just stared at me. He got the anointing oil. Walked down to where I was. Stared at me some more. I don't know why. But he asked me. He said, are you ready to be healed? Tears filled my eyes. I said, yes, sir. Nowadays when preachers anoint with oil... Just take a little dab, put it on your finger, put it on your head, pray a little prayer, send you on your way. No, sir, not Brother Steve. He didn't take his finger in oil. He took the top off the oil. Began to pour it all over my head. I washed oil out of my hair for three weeks. It ruined a good suit, a good tie, and a good shirt. But I tell you, when I walked, when I came to at the back of the church 15 minutes later, thank God I was healed. Healed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hadn't had a problem. Hadn't taken a pill. Hadn't had a symptom since. Sister Angie uh, uh, talked to the doctor. And the doctor was an atheist. 
didn't believe in God. Uh, they, they were talking. She said, what about that boy at your church? How's he doing? She said, well, God healed him. He had said he hadn't had a problem or symptom since. And the doctor said, huh? Said, I, I don't know about all that God stuff, but I know what he's got. I, I'll see him again. We're going to have to go in and fix that. I, amen. There, there's no miracle that can fix what he's got. I, amen. I can tell you that's going on eight years, church. I, eight years healed I, by the power of Almighty God. I, not only does God take away sin, I, he'll take away shame. He'll take away sickness from your body. My God, I'm thankful for the things that God has taken away. I'm hurrying to a close. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I've seen Him do it too many times to believe that He can't. Amen. Are there things, preachers, miracles you prayed for that you haven't seen? Yes. I'll admit to it, yes. Oh, God. But it does not diminish the fact that He can. And when we touch Him, He will. Amen. It is the will of God for you to be whole. Not only does He take sin, shame, and sickness, but He's taken away the sting of death. Paul said, if I had life, hope in this life only I would be of all men most miserable. But the fact of the matter is, is that we don't have life, hope in this life only. But as Christians, we have a hope of a life that lies ahead. Amen. The sting of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Behold, I show unto you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. He went on to say the things that would be transpired. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. This mortal man shall put on immortality. In verse 55, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Where's your sting at death? Where's your victory at grave? He said, but thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if I didn't have Christ, death would be something that I absolutely feared. Amen. But the fact of the matter is, is that when oxygen leaves this body, when I, these eyes close in death, they're going to be open on the other side. And we'll see Him as He is. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord as a born again believer. Amen. Am I looking to die today? No. Am I looking to die tomorrow? No. But if I do, I've got the hope that this world's not my home. Hallelujah. The sting of death has been taken away. Amen. Why? Because I have a life waiting on me on the other side. Hallelujah. Amen. There is life and freedom in Christ. Death isn't something that we fear. Amen. It's a necessary end to all. Amen. For there is a sickness unto death. Amen. And we're all going to go the way of the grave unless the rapture comes. But we have the assurance and we have the hope that when we do die to be absent from this body uh, is to be present with the Lord. Uh, and when we have that mindset, uh, death has no sting. Uh, amen. If, if I knew that the grave was the end, uh, amen, it would sting something fierce. Uh, but when I know that death is just the beginning, uh, amen, that this life is just the dress rehearsal for heaven, uh, getting us ready to be the bride of Christ, my God, uh, the grave uh, has no sting. Uh, the grave has no victory. Uh, thanks be unto God uh, who giveth us the victory by Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. There's no sting in death. I watched my 89 year old grandpa. Pass away. Somebody said he lost his battle. I said no. 
Nothing's lost when you know where he's at. Hallelujah. Very sad time. God made a way where I was able to be with him. And he breathed his last. But we were with him. Tears filled the eyes of all the family members. And rightfully so, it was a sad time. Somebody said, Corey, you're not crying. You just, you, you're very strong. I said, no, I'm not strong. But how can I cry when I know where he's at? How can I cry when I know that he's left this feeble body and he's in the presence of Almighty God? He fought for over 60 years on this faith to be where he's at. Amen. I rejoice and I'm jealous that he's at the feet of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no sting in death. Thanks be unto God, the Lord gives. He taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I can sit here and I can name off for days on end things God has given unto me. And you hear me, I'm thankful for every one of them. I'm not a brat. I mean, I'm not one that just uh, takes lightly the gifts of God for the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You get a kid that gifts a, gets a gift at Christmas time and throws it into a corner two minutes later, you, you would say that they're spoiled. There are a couple of other adjectives that you could probably throw in there because they don't value the gift that you've given them. Man, that, that, that's not me. I thank God for every gift. But I'm just as thankful for what He's taken away from me as what I am of all the things that He's given me. The Lord has given. He's taken away.